Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Welcome to IRC Book Club. We're back. Michael, we're back. Oh, good. This time with a decent book as well. Yeah. The, to, 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 to give you listeners some context, Mike and I lost a little bit of the will to live after Challenger sale, and we needed some time. Oh, there's a, a sharp intake of breath from Paul there. We, we needed some time to just rethink. Um, we... And I'm not going to lie, Mike, I, I, I don't know what you like, but I, I just found myself profoundly bored recording the episodes about Challenger Sale. I, I got sick of your voice. I think you got sick of mine. Uh, and I thought the book, the book itself, Challenger Sale, I thought was dismal. I think it was very dated, wasn't it? Is what it was, yeah, Challenger it, Sale. It, very dated, I thought. It's a dated awfully. So as a result of that, what we've done is we've reformatted Book Club a bit. Um, and what we've decided is every month we're going to have a new panel on the show. So this week we've brought together a couple of heavy hitters. We've got Steve Lowndes, we've got Paul O'Sullivan, a couple of guys who I know are both keen listeners of the show. And what we're going to do is make the show a little bit more about you, our audience, and a bit less about two knackered, opinionated recruitment consultants. So I think it's very relevant. Got? Sorry. Sorry, go on, Jonathan. Go on, Mike. You were going to say something then before I, I introduced our, our, our panel. I think it's particularly relevant with this book, The New Strategic Selling, because whilst everybody would like to say that they're a strategic sales person, I think actually strategic selling suits some environments better than others. It doesn't necessarily suit the recruitment market, which incorrectly is often considered a tactical sale. So it'd be interesting to get the opinions of two guys who are out there possibly dealing with these kinds of sales in your opinion. But anyway, Jonathan, you've got to introduce them. So go for your life. So let's start with Steve Lowndes. Steve Lowndes is a sales trainer and salesperson, and he's described himself as a sales trainer and salesperson in equal measure. He's worked with thousands of salespeople over the last 10 to 15 years, developing their skills to deliver better results. He's got his first book out in early 2021, co-authored with his colleague and business partner, which is called Selling in the New World, The Rise of the Transformational Seller. I did think if this is about transformational sellers, Pricey is Optimus Prime and I'm Bumblebee, and I'm co-founder of New World Selling. On a personal level at weekends, he is a keen cyclist, an occasional runner, and a reluctant minicab driver for two teenage daughters. Been there, Steve. Um, welcome to the panel for this month's book club on the new strategic selling. And then Paul O'Sullivan. Paul, do you want to introduce yourself? I mean, I've known Paul for a long time. Paul, I reckon me and you go back to the late 90s. Yeah, you're probably when right. I, when I was I... at Howard Jackson. Yeah, I wish you kept that quiet though, Johnny. But thanks all the same. Dates us both badly that when we were ju- when we were just disco damaged young men. Yeah, still am. <laughs> so, uh, now we're disco damaged old men. Uh, yeah, quite. Uh, so Paul O'Sullivan, um, as Johnny says, been around sales and IT for about twenty years. So tumble into it in the dot com boom because that was the only way idiots like me could get a job. 
Um, and having been bumped and bruised along the way, um, started to focus more around security, uh, such that I'm now running a sales team, have done for the last five years, uh, for NGS Nepton. So been Fantastic. Fantastic. So welcome to the show, guys. So let's begin. Thanks. We're on the new strategic selling by Miller Hyman, Stephen E. Hyman and Diane Sanchez with Tadatulea. It's not that new, is it? Well, uh, it's an interesting title because I, I, I don't know exactly when this book started or when it first came out, but it's quite old. And I was interested Mid-80s. to see how it, had, how it had dated, actually. But I, I've got my own opinion. It'd be interesting to get the opinion of one of the guys on uh, how, generally how relevant you think it is to the current market, given the title, The New Strategic Selling. Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll take that first of all. Um, it was interesting. I first read it about 10 years ago. Just checking the cover notes now, I think I'm reading the, the third edition that was reprinted in about 2006. Um, it's incredibly relevant, I still think. And I think particularly when you look at what's happening now, and I think whatever the economic fallout from the whole COVID situation looks like, um, I think it's going to require, there's going to be a big shift. I think there's going to be a lot of turbulence. Um, and when you look at a lot of the things that the book's talking about, the importance of strategy um, and, and the approach taken, I think, you know, I'm reading it thinking this could have been written in the last couple of years and save for maybe one or two um, sort of more contemporary references. But the ideas behind it, I think, are still just as relevant now uh, as they were when I first read it sort of 10 years ago. And it's been really interesting to go back and read through it um, and sort of reacquaint myself with a lot of things that I've taken for granted, I guess, over the last 10 years. Okay, so here's my first question then. One of, uh, I'm just looking at parts one and two of the book here, and I'm, I'm looking at some of the early, uh, early chapters. There's a quote here in the book. It says, if you want to predict the next sales representative of the year, find out which salespeople are constantly analysing their own methodology to improve their competitive edge. And my first question, and and Mike and I often talk about this on the show, but I'm interested to bring this open to some panellists, is isn't all sales training preaching to the converted? You know, often we talk about the show and we sit on the show and, and, and we think the guys, that the people that listen to the show, they're the people that are bothered about their salesmanship. Yep. And in a way, they almost don't need to listen to the show because they're bothered enough. Um, I'll take that. I think you yes and no. I think... Um, the majority of people who are, who are going to pick up this book, I think the majority of people are going to listen to your podcasts are, as I said, they're already the converted there. Uh, people are constantly analysing, reviewing, uh, reflecting on that and, and looking for new and different ways to attach. But actually, as a sales trainer, um, I would say probably 80% of my audience that I get coming through the door is um, are more hostages than necessarily willing participants. And by that, I mean that they're not necessarily, but they've been press-ganged into it. The, the sales director said, you're all going on this training course. Um, so actually, not necessarily pre- preaching the converted. I think a lot of the people that I, I sit down and we go through stuff with, um, you know, at the very start, there's a there's a healthy degree of cynicism. They're saying, okay, I'm, I'm here. I'm all right. I've been doing this for a number of years now. I don't know what that what I've got to learn, but I'm willing to give it a go. Um, And very often they're actually quite surprised when you take them through the process. You, you, 
you know, very quickly they warm into this idea of things that they're missing. So the role of the strategic professional. And well, I say it is I've selling re- a profession. Yeah, is it a profession? Is it a profession? Is I, I selling think, a profession? Oh, yes, it it, it, sh- it is and should be, but it, people confuse professional selling with transacting stroke taking the, orders. The, the, the true problem with that phrase profession in my mind is is that there is no form of certification. No. You're either a doctor or you're not. You're either a doctor or you're not, yeah. aren't you? Full stop, that's it. <laughs> and you're either active or you've been struck off. Whereas actually I can yeah. tell you, having done this job a long time, I would strike off about seventy percent of the people who have got the title sales from their title. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, let's get it right, Mike. My sister is a, a fitness-to-practice panel chair for the General Medical Council. Could you imagine if you had a fitness-to-practice panel for salesmanship? Well, well I mean, in fairness, you know, Pareto, you know, where, where Steve was, that's the closest thing to a good, solid accreditation in sales that I've ever seen, actually. You look at Pareto, they've done the Pareto courses, I think, all right, you know, they've been assessed and accredited. To an extent. Either. Hey there, Steve. He's a bit he can crazy. hear us. Let's just let's just talk about him. I'm not sure he can hear. Actually, I think he's. Oh no, uh, he's there. He's there. Just, I think it, no audio. He's got no audio. Oh, bollocks. Let's just hang on then, and I'll another edit point. My first car for for the record. See at Marbella Sports. Paid sixty pound for it. Nissan oh, Cherry for me. B853 TWR. <laughs> Why do we have 144 T? I don't know. I don't remember the number plate of your first car. Oh, no. God, I can remember the number plate of my mate's first car's Chiefs was C57 AWY. No, we didn't have stuff like that. What I didn't pass the driving test last 21. <laughs> I reckon wow. I could remember. Are you there, Steve? Connecting. Yep. Yeah, looks like he's here. He's here now. Hey, how are we doing? Yeah. You're back. We were just saying, oh, Steve's not yeah. contributing at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we'll go back to it then. So, so, so we can pick it up in line. So, so the point that Miller Hyman makes here on page 20 is surprising as it may see many people who sell are reluctant to admit that their profession is a profession. Now, the big problem with this for me is, that, it's, that there's no real certification to say that you're a sales professional. If you're a doctor, you're a doctor, unless you get struck off. If you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer. And I can tell you now, there's a lot of people out there in the market who call themselves a sales professional that are not sales professionals. I reckon no. only eight, you know, 20% of the people on LinkedIn are. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to pick too heavily in this book because I love it. But in your opinion, Paul, Steve, I know what yours is going to be, Johnny, so I'm not even going to ask you. But in your opinion, Paul and Steve, do you think that people treat selling as a profession? Some do. And do you think your buyers perceive you as a professional when you're sat opposite them, offering them support and advice? Or are you a snake or a guy that's coming through the door to try and sell them some networking security? I work inside, but we're all snake oil sellers. <laughs> um, I, again, <laughs> again, I think it's about, yeah, probably 20%, you know, uh, I guess, arbitrary figure. Uh, a subset of, of buyers, yes, probably think the professional. Because I think that I'm a professional recruiter, but I reckon only 30% of my clients ever, ever phone me for advice. The remaining 70%, I give them advice and they just ignore it anyway. 
Steve smiling, he's seen that before. Yeah, well, no, I, I know that feeling really well. I think, look, is sales a profession? It should be in most cases, particularly for the complex. Are the people involved in it acting professionally sometimes or to a degree? Um, they are. Do clients see that salesperson as a professional? Well, when they act in a professional manner, yes, to a degree they do. But I, I think a lot does depend upon that the complexity. But I also think, it, you know, one of the things that I talked about before i think sometimes the lack of training or the lack of barrier of entry into the profession has yes. been a problem because individuals fall into it um as you say anybody can be a salesman if you can talk and you know a bit about the product you get thrown out there in front of a customer and that's why you end up with a huge proportion of people who go out and to be fair probably end up being relatively successful because they're decent people they have reasonable communication skills. Um, they're selling quite a good product and they get away with the fact that maybe they don't always need to be professional. And actually yeah. half the time because they're competitors are in the same. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> so I had this theory. I, uh, I'm going to alienate myself now from probably half the UK here, uh, but I'm going to say anyway, so screw it. Uh, I used to joke about the M4 corridor set and how you could literally shave a chimp and sit it in a chair anywhere along the M4 corridor selling technology. And as long as, to Steve's point, you were articulate and polite and all the rest of it, you could probably do okay. And back to the ageism thing, I saw a shed load of guys of my stroke, our age group, rocking up for interview um, in the last three, five years, who I, I, just, I just wouldn't employ because, you know, you just realise that they were right place, right time, and they ain't all that. I completely agree, Paul. And I think it's bigger than that. I think let's get it right. Is sales a profession? Yes and no. We're the guys that didn't study medicine and law. I did study accounting, actually. But you didn't qualify? No, I didn't. I That's, agree. Let's get it right. If you said to my mum now, what do you think of your son? She'd say, he's done all right, but he's not a doctor. <laughs> my dad would say the same. <laughs> my dad does not he's think he's right, a but he didn't study medicine. That, that's yeah. that's how my mum sees me. That's how yeah. my dad don't give her monkeys, but my mum to my mum, she still looks at me and thinks he was so clever. Why didn't he go and Why didn't he go and study medicine or law? <laughs> why did you do accountancy? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, and so so there's always going to be a deeper, more philosophical thing, which is you know, if you're a member of the English middle classes, American middle classes, any middle classes, or, or working classes, and you work your nuts off, and you you imbue your your family with the the attributes of hard work, focus, dedication. There's always going to be an element of dis disappointment in a significant percentage of parents when they look at a kid and think, "Damn it, salesman." Do you know what's interesting? Actually, I've just completed an assignment in the US. The view there is very different. Is in it the US? They yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's definitely a profession in the US. You know, you're seeing guys, girls, kids, whatever. Go to, go to certain universities because it lays the foundation of them becoming a salesperson. I have a very great. different view over there. That's great. Yeah, yeah. It's great I want to, to take, hear. I want to take to page 21. I know I'm hijacking your show a bit, Johnny, but I'm happy. it says, for the paradoxical but very good reason that it's always the best who want to do better. In any selling organization, it's the top 10% of individuals with persistence and dedication to their own selling skills who ultimately bring the biggest dividends to the company. I just don't think that could be truer. 
and that's my it's point so, about that. You're so, always... so, so true that. God, Steve that's, doesn't look happy That's my with point that. about preaching to the choir, though, Mike. Steve was going to jump in and give me some grief over that, I felt. Actually, no, I I want to agree with you. And the only reason I'm, I'm saying, I'm kind of going, oh, not so sure, is I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm thinking maybe just one or two individuals who I know who are absolutely brilliant at doing what they do, who I don't necessarily think put a persistence and dedication into developing their skills overtly. So I'm saying, I, I don't think they read a lot of books. I don't think they've got a lot of training. I think they probably reflect on everything that they do and every time they go right what could I have done to make that better but they don't necessarily seek alternative help so that was the only challenge I got to that was the exception that breaks the rule um dedication around selling skills maybe not but actually naturally reflecting on what they do definitely cool I caught a glimpse of Paul's book a minute ago and he's got lots of bits of yellow tape in it so what have you picked out of chapter one god where do I begin so <sighs> I mean, I, first of all, I'm slightly disadvantaged because I've got the revised third edition. So when you're saying page 20, I'm like, what? what's he talking about? Oh, shit. Oh, I, just got the th- I just got the third <laughs> edition. What's fascinating, I, I think I'm on the same, what's fascinating about this book, I don't know if something, and this is a very subtle subtext to the conversation, is, you know, Miller Hyman have, in this book, a phenomenal paradigm of a way of approaching a complex sale. I, I still think it's, leading edge thinking. But what's really interesting is they've been bought by Corn Ferry. And actually, if you go online, you cannot get a Kindle version of this book and you cannot get an audio version of this book. And there has not been a recent revision for years and years and years and years. And it's almost as if they don't want the IP to be that easily available. Am I the only person that noticed that? Yeah, it's too cynical, that. Come on, Johnny, what have you written down, Paul, in your book? Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, I, I've got sections left, right, and centre, and just on that point, it annoyed the hell out of me that I couldn't get this on Kindle because I like <laughs> to highlight sections, put notes in. I was like, ah! Yeah, I'm the uh, same. And I, and I didn't want to besmirch the book with highlighter and it's stuff stuck all these little tabs in. Anyway, we digress. Um, what was I looking at here? So, uh, yeah, I see... My my t- view of this here was, and, and it may be a little bit in what you've referred to there, I just looked and thought, hmm, sales pitch, ready for the training. And, you know, then I happened to remark upon what else was in the book. Oh, look, send this in and sign up for our training courses. So I, I a little bit like Mark Roberge's book, The Sales Acceleration for me, The HubSpot Guy, which great book, but it's a great segue to buy our product. This to me was setting the scene for that so yeah preaching's the converted yeah you know with professionalism you may be able to think about it great all very good stuff and, that. and I don't know wrong with the book but it just smelt of the sales pitch yeah. in this first chapter you know, you know I'm tearing you up ready it's just enough the book but not quite enough I can see why you and Johnny get on um yeah Paul, Paul, Paul understands me <laughs> so chapter two Johnny what have you got about chapter two for us to talk about well, I wrote that the opening chap, the opening paragraph of chapter two about Real Madrid and Manchester United. I actually wrote the word bollocks next to it, and then um, it, they put here to, to many people the only skills that count are those that emerge in the actual sales call. The tricks of the trade that help you. I deal did I just say a bit? The tricks of the trade that help you deal effectively with the buyer once you're actually sitting in the office. I actually think that that is a long forgotten art, and as a recruiter, I think that the sales training industry has eschewed that 
part of the sales process in favor of strategic selling to too great an extent. I think we've shifted in the wrong direction. And the experience I have meeting as many salespeople as I do is that that is now a lost art. Um, and that actually what people think sales training is, is Miller Hyman, Challenger, and God knows what other strategic processes. I very rarely meet people who've got truly brilliant one-on-one, -on -one, me and you in a room salesmanship. Very rare. Where I speak to someone and I think, wow, you're on it. And you see it come through in the candidates, the questions they ask you, the way they qualify you, the way they think. There's, there's something about a candidate that's got that salesmanship. They ask why, they go layers below in their questioning of you. Mm, mm, mm. And actually, particularly sub 35, in that slightly more millennial Gen Z audience, I'm just not seeing that in the, in the skill set. Yeah. I'm not seeing it anywhere. I think it's the active listening. Yeah, I think you're right, Paul. So, and just little things like you know, you're taught mirroring how to build rapport, and and some people kind of do it maybe naturally. Some people have to be trained to do that. But you're right; it's that one to one and 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 getting into that questioning rather than almost that that, that almost visible barrier between the two and putting people at ease and getting into those questions and and really getting those answers. Just, well, just asking good questions. I'm, I'm not convinced that in, in more recently. Uh, and I've seen that firsthand when I went. I'm straight away thinking of a piece of business. I, I helped uh, the guys from a certain file sharing solution, should we say, beginning with D, close a couple of three years ago. And all they had to do was ask the guy, can, can we have the order? You know, they'd been messing around and messing around, but I just went and closed it. And I didn't do anything special. Far from it. Just did the very thing that we would probably all do. But I just sat and observed and listened and listened to something the guy said. And I said, well, if we, that sounds like if we can do X, you'll, you'll proceed. Can we proceed? And he just went, yeah. And they were just mesmerized. That's just because that's the right question. <laughs> All right, then. I'll I just, draw just up did the, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it literally happened. Go on, like Steve. That. I thought you were going to say something about that then. Yeah, only because I, I read that first and I had the same reaction, maybe slightly differently. I, I come back to it and saying, you know, it talks there again of the, the Real Madrid, Manchester United. So it's all about the taxi. You know, they don't get on the training ground and do the basics. Actually, vast majority of sales teams need to get the basics right first. And I think whilst this is a great book for building beyond that, all the way through it, I'm going, there's a lot of what to do. But actually, and it, it points out at the start, this isn't a book about how to do it, but actually the problem we've got is most salespeople that I see don't necessarily know how to do it. In terms of the generational gap, Jonathan's sort of saying the guys under 35 don't have a lot of those skills. Actually, I'm seeing a, the gap in guys over 35 as well. I think people who've been in the industry or been in the sales game you know, for 20, 30 years aren't necessarily any better than questioning that those who've only been in it for five years. And you know, I don't necessarily see that difference in the gap. I think there's a lot of people who've been doing it for a long time, back to your point about the guys on the M4, um, you know, who've been successful in spite of their skills, not because of their skills. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. And I think what what's really fascinating is people aren't focusing on that part of their game. They talk in the book about uh, the basics and how Manchester United don't focus on the basics. Actually, Every great football team that you watch and every great rugby team that you watch 
the reason they're brilliant is because they execute the basics with perfection. And that's why I didn't like it. You know, I, 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 I'm a massive rugby league fan. Uh, the great rugby league sides, they don't do anything clever ever. They just do very basic things enormously well. I've told you, Johnny, I've got a mate who's a pro chef. If you ever watch him cook, he doesn't do anything special. He just does all the basic bits perfectly. And lo yeah. and behold, his food is absolutely knockout food. So on page 28. But, but there's a, I think what we, we've got to be careful here because we've panned it a little bit here thus far. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I'm picking start, stuff out. It's starting to warm up now as we get towards Well, well I was going to say, page 28. I don't know what page you're on, Paul, with your ancient copy of the book, but it says, another ten- <laughs> another, another, is a- <laughs> another is a tendency to focus exclusively on the individual sale and to ignore the account. So I think this is going to be particularly relevant. It is not as relevant in recruitment, but I suspect particularly, actually, Paul, in your you know, in what you're selling, I suspect you could quite easily win a little bit of business but lose the account long-term. Yeah. And so let's say you're, you know, you're obviously a very nice, pleasant man to work for. I'm sure you never shout at any of you salespeople ever. But let's say the salesperson there behind Target, they've got the opportunity to get a little bit of business, but it's going to cost them long-term. What are you going to do in that situation? See... I, this is where I probably differ because I would take the longer view. You know, it's it's all very well doing a smash and grab and getting a little five grand piece of margin and just just you know that that salesperson not looking daft at the you know, at the sales meeting. But what if that compromises that you know quarter million pound piece of margin three six months down the line because you, you burn that customer? Um, I, I personally wouldn't do that. And if if my bosses are watching this, I'll probably get into trouble right now. But yeah, that's that's just my view. I think you've got to take, you've got to play the long game. Well, it's interesting. It's covered really well later on in the book, actually. And they're talking about you know the 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 long game. And I also think towards the end of this last couple of pages, it stalks it stalks it talks about analysing the client and thinking about where you're at, which which I don't really find. You'll maybe know this, Steve. I don't think many people really sit down with a cup of tea and analyse where they're at with an account, I don't think. Uh, just saying, very rarely. Yeah. Would you have to done that at Pareto? Would you have got people to analyse an account strategically? Do you know what? That was always the endless battle. <laughs> I, I include myself in that as well. Look, you know, one of the things naturally about a lot of salespeople is, is, is the nature. If you look at the personality styles that we often are or, or historically have been, um, we tend to be that little bit sort of more pragmatic or more extrovert in terms of that. We tend to like to get out there and talk to customers. What salespeople, and it's their Achilles heel very generally, what they're not necessarily very good at doing is sitting down in a quiet room, strategizing, coming up with plans, reflecting, and doing all that other kind of great stuff. Um, very often they just want to get in and active, very sort of active from that point of view. So it's, it's the classic age old bands, I, I think, we always try to get salespeople. I always try to do it myself. But if there's an opportunity to sit down in a room for an hour and, and analyze some accounts or get on the phone and speak to some customers and have some meetings and, and do all the fun stuff, you know, we're always going to get drawn into that, I think. And under pressure to do that as well, I suspect. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I think we're into the first killer app of the book here, Mike. Go on. I think this is, well, I'm on page 38, which is the, 
euphoria panic continuum. So what they're saying is first thing you Love do. Love this. Yes. The, the, the first thing you do, and this is their point is, and this is always at the top of them. And I, I you know, I actually got out a Miller Hyman blue sheet in Excel. I found one. Yeah, I, I did the same actually. Yeah, I did the same. Um, so uh, the, they, they refer to this thing called the euphoria panic continuum. On the left-hand side, you've got euphoria, great, secure, comfort, okay, moving into the right. Then you've got concern, discomfort, worry, fear, panic. That alone for me, go through every item in your pipeline and just ask yourself, where am I on the euphoria panic continuum with every deal? That's a killer app. Yeah, completely agree. Absolutely. If every salesperson did that with every part of their pipeline today. And we're honest. Yes. Yeah, I, so I, that's my little tab right here. Can't see it, my awful writing. It does depend on the salesperson being honest with himself. Subjectivity, uh, sorry, objectivity is, oh, subjectivity is a risk here, I wrote. If they are being subjective, oh yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, you, you screwed your toast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then that's, bec- but, but actually, and I, I actually once did the sales manager's training for Miller Hyman's strategic selling. And actually on the sales manager's training, one of the things that they talk about is the fact that if the, if the sales guy sat there saying everything's fine, then they're, they're, euphoric, they're effectively euphoric about every deal, which is therefore a red flag in and of itself in every deal. And therefore, as the leader, you're suddenly going, so everything's great, great. Okay, well, we're in real shit then here. Actually, your pipeline's worth jack shit. And that's the point. That's the point, actually, at which you then start drilling into the pipeline. And, you know, it's unglamorous to talk about it as a sales leader, but at some point, the good, the good managers are sat there saying, right, this deal, why is that a deal? What is it? Where is the customer? Right, so you're saying it's great, but who have you met in the, in the account? Have you met this person? No, why? Right, that's a red flag. What are we going to do to make sure that we've got around that? How are you going to do that? Yeah. And that's the point. And one of the things I always found very hard managing people with this process was you could go through a pipeline and the poor sales guy would walk out of the meeting. He'd walk in with his chest puffed up going, this is all right, smashing it, half a million quid in the pipeline. At the end of it, the poor guy walks out with 50 grand in his pipeline, um, realizing actually he's in trouble. Um, and, and, well, it's a tough one, it, isn't it? Because you yeah. want somebody to have happy ears, but so they're happy. Yeah. Whereas the problem with Miller Hyman is it's, it's, it's a big, I'll give you a cold, direct wet things. kipper in the face is this process. Come on, Paul. What's yeah. your example? So direct example of, of where this happens, yeah. even forgetting the book, where this assessment, this self-assessment and being objective falls down in every single salesperson, or, or certainly not every single one, so let me rephrase that, in every single organization that sales managers and leaders will be watching this will be nodding going, yep, forecast date. How many people put a forecast date on there that's their agenda, their objective, and they've not properly asked the customer and qualified that what and what date and why? But they're not and all just say end, five p.m. on the last day of the quarter. Oh, exactly. It's like what? Oh, it's, oh it happens to be the thirty-first. God, what are the chances? It's like a, it's, mm-hmm. it's like everybody wants to buy everything on the last day of the month, isn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but that—that's the it. beauty of the process. Is it? It creates. It's like I say. I I, 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 lo- I love this process. Maybe it's because I was steeped in it at a time when I was very involved in running a sales team in software, and it really helped me 
guide what I was doing, but it, it, it is the coldest, wettest of giant kippers slapped across the face of everybody in the team. And it's very difficult. I, the, I, my biggest criticism of it always was it's difficult for it to not be oppressive because you can walk out of a meeting, blue sheet reviewing a deal, and it's very hard to not walk out of the meeting all thinking, oh, God, we're miles off. Or get sent out. I I saw a guy, I say saw a guy, I didn't see him because it happened after I went out for a coffee, literally got fired on the spot when I was at Proofpoint for not being in control of his business, for not having a Scooby-Doo and the then VP tore it apart. I, I walked back in, where's Eric? He's gone. Don't worry. <laughs> no, he's been fired. He literally got fired on the spot. Love well, like the there's not enough for that. It's not enough for that. And, 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 and this is me going before with the, like a, that very wafer-thin pipeline, but brutally honest, and not great pipeline, just said, this is where it's at and this is what I'm going to do. And I'm thinking, is it time to brush up the CV? Hi, Johnny. <laughs> 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 then, then he's in next. <laughs> 